If you don't really follow news, if you don't really do any investigating for yourself, you probably believe insane nonsense. You probably believe things that aren't real. You'll believe things about Trump that never happened because the media just, they play this game of telephone with each other. They circle around sharing the same stories and repeating them over and over again without facts. And they live in a bubble separated from most people. The best example of this, the best you know, image is the Dave Chappelle special, which I've highlighted several times in the past week, where the critics, I think right now out of like 10 reviews is a 30% critic score, but out of 20,000 audience reviews, it's 99%. The media has become a weird bubble, but it's also a left-wing bubble. It is this weird leftist ideology. Well, now we have a 2020 presidential Democratic candidate learning full well the power of the media and what happens to you when you go up against the establishment. Marion Williamson, she is a bit of a kooky character, I will admit, but she seems very nice, and I think she's a warming presence on that debate stage. I don't think she's made it this time. I don't know if she's going to be in it. But she was talking about the power of love and pushing back and rejecting the negativity in politics. I can absolutely respect that. I do think she said things that are interesting and weird in the past. Many of her tweets were highlighted. But the media has become this weird, you know, left-wing biased clique of the popular kids who aren't too smart, are a bit vapid, and spread lies about people because they think they're just cooler than you. What ends up happening? Marion Williamson, Williamson says it herself. Liberals are mean and they lie. Quote, I thought the right did that. Welcome to the party. This is one of the biggest points of the culture war. People who don't know because they don't care and they don't pay attention and they blame everyone on the right. And then guess what? When you challenge this, when you call out the media, they call you right wing. Well, I don't think they're going to be able to call Marion Williamson right wing. But what they do is they smear her as a crazy hippie crystal conspiracy theorist. And it's very, very unfair. You know, look, criticize her, you know, for her, for, uh, criticize her for the things she said, but they play this game, right, where they talk about crystals. At first, someone just made a joke saying she's like a hippie crystal lady. You know, the spiritual people who wear crystals to like control energy. I don't, I don't know how it works, but she doesn't. She's actually not literally a crystal person, but because of the joke, it runs wild. And then in an interview, someone asks her about it and she says, I don't own any crystals. You see how the joke runs wild. They did the same thing to Sarah Palin. It was uh, Tina Fey on Saturday Night Live said, I can see Russia from my house. But Sarah Palin never said that. However, because many of these people who don't pay attention on the left, don't, they, they can't separate fact from fiction, really believed Sarah Palin said she could see Russia from her house. When what she really said was, from the westernmost point of Alaska, you can actually visibly see Russia. So they're much, they, they actually deal with Russia going through the, the, the Bering Strait and things like that. They actually have to have those relationships. That's actually a very apt statement. Instead, the media makes it a joke. People on the left who don't pay attention and don't read believe it's true. And now poor Marion Williamson, who again, I, will, I have no problem saying she's, she's kooky a bit, but she's getting beaten down by these smears and she had to learn the hard way. So let's read this story and we'll talk about the bias in the media and this weird clickiness and how it's impacting even a Democratic presidential candidate. Before we get started, head over to timcast.com slash donate to support my work. There is a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address, but the best thing you can do, share this video. Why? Well, we're talking about media bias again. YouTube is absolutely biased, and they prop up mainstream channels and derank independent political commentary like this. So because we're going to be talking about someone who is a Democratic candidate calling out the left, you know people won't be happy about it. But can I stress this point? 
When I say I hold, you know, mostly left, center left policy, they say Tim's lying. He's secretly conservative. Well, when Marion Williamson says the same thing, can you please stop? This is a perfect example of how the left is trying to excise everyone they can for whatever reason, to create the sphere of ideological purity. Great. When you get rid of people like Marion Williamson, I don't think there's a left anymore. Let's read from Fox News. Long shot Democratic presidential candidate Marion Williamson suggested in a new interview that she was surprised to find liberals are so mean and even lie, lashing out at the party's treatment of her spirituality tinged campaign. Williamson sat down with New Yorker editor David Remnick, for a wide-ranging podcast conversation in which she also denied being an anti-vaxxer. She was asked about her plan to take on President Trump with kindness and the politics of love, as well as the reception her campaign has gotten. I know this sounds naive, Williamson said. I didn't think the left was so mean. I didn't think the left lied like this. I thought the right did that. I thought we were better. Williamson said, the haters in this country have been collectivized for political purpose and added that liberal New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof would have been her ideal secretary of state before he condemned her candidacy. But then I read that he can't stand me, so he probably wouldn't want to work for me. But why can't he stand her? Is it because she's actually a bad person? I think Marion Williamson's actually a really nice and lovely person. I, I absolutely respect her calls for love and kindness, and, her, and, and she's refused time and time again to attack, make personal attacks on other candidates. That is extremely respectable, tremendously respectable, but they tear her down anyway. Why? People love being angry. They love being angry. There's even an ounce of anger in me presenting this. I am angry that they would go after a woman who's trying to advocate for kindness. Look, you can point out she's a long shot candidate, but they lie about so much claiming she's an anti-vaxxer. Now, I can't speak to the vaccination stuff. She said, Williamson also told The New Yorker that she is not an anti-vaxxer, and admitted that vaccinations save lives, saying a sloppy comment resulted in her being labeled as anti-vaxxer, which put a target on her for social media mockery. I said that they were draconian. I said that they were Orwellian, she said. I would not say that now. It was a sloppy comment that a presidential candidate should not have said. At one point during the freewheeling interview, Williamson oddly said that Trump's facial features have changed over the years, but declined to elaborate. I don't care about Trump's facial features, but I'll make a point about the vaccination stuff. Pointing out that people calling for government-mandated medication is draconian and Orwellian is a factual statement. I believe vaccinations are incredible, and they've done amazing things, and I believe they're extremely important, and I hope you are all getting your kids vaccinated. A lot of the, a lot of the talk about you know, anti-vaxxer stuff is based in misinformation, and it's unfortunate. I also think the government shouldn't be mandating. <laughs> Look, it's a nuanced issue, but government mandated medication terrifies me. It is draconian. She was not wrong, but they call her an anti-vaxxer because of that. They do this to everybody and they use public shame to get you to backpedal and then defend authoritarian policies like like mandatory medication. That's that's I'm sorry. I find that creepy. I really, really do. However, you know, in my personal opinion, I don't want to get into the vax stuff. I think we should, you know, kids should have to be vaccinated if they want to go to public schools. I see no problem with that because you don't have to. Homeschooling is an option and private schooling is an option. So if the public votes that you need to be vaccinated to go to school, I see no problem with that. However, I don't know exactly what our comments were about, but I would certainly say if you're going to mandate medication, that's weird. So I don't, I think in the end, what they do is they take anything they can to try and destroy you. And she's really felt the brunt of this. It's actually said. They say that uh, the spiritual author turned presidential hopeful has called for a department of peace. I think it's silly. 
She, t- she, t- she tweeted this. Millions of us seeing Dorian turn away from land is not a wacky idea. She said in a now deleted tweet, it's a creative use of the power of the mind. Two minutes prayer, visualiz- visual- visualization, meditation for those in the way of the storm. Yashir, uh, journalist Yashir Ali tweeted, that the, tweeted the post that Williamson promptly accused him of trying to debunk, counter, or mischaracterize anything I do. It's no surprise. They do the exact same thing to Trump. But Trump is a Republican. So they just say, oh, Trump's just trying to come after the press. No. The reality is the media is biased. Take a look at this story from November of 2018. The, uh, it was the Arizona State University questioned 462 financial journalists around the country. Now, I understand they're financial. They followed up with 18 additional interviews. The journalists worked for the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Washington Post, AP, and a number of other newspapers. And what did they find? What they found surprised, uh, what they found surprised them. Even the supposedly hard-nosed financial reporters were overwhelmingly liberal. Of 462, uh, uh, 462 people surveyed, 17.6% called themselves very liberal, while 40.84% described themselves as somewhat liberal. When you add it up, 58.47% admitted to being left of center. Along with that, another 37.12 claimed to be moderate. That means there are 13 liberals for every one conservative. Whatever happened to ideological diversity, they ask. The results are clear. In this story from, uh, this is Columbia, Journal- Columbia Journalism Review, September 12, 2018. The results of a new Knight Foundation Gallup poll released Tuesday won't come as a huge surprise to most, uh, to, surprise to most journalists. Trust in media is down again. We can talk about all the reasons trust in media is down, but it, it becomes exemplified when even Adult Swim a few days ago publishes this comic. Now, I, I highlighted this comic in my story about Dave, uh, I believe it was about Dave Chappelle, but this is very, very important for those that didn't see it. For those that are listening, let me describe it to you. You have a bunch of people Pointing, was one person pointed at the sky. Oh my God, it's coming. We have to hide, they say. The next panel, quick, in here, as they run into a cave. And what are they running from? A gigantic concrete, the truth, in the sky. And why are they running from it? What might they be doing? What might these people be? In the cave, That someone says, oof, at least in here, we can safely work on our journalism. With lies, 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 spray painted on the wall. With someone being filmed as they draw a picture of a unicorn that says lies on it. Adult Swim, mainstream millennial Adult Swim tweeted this comic out. And boy, was the left angry. But this is the perfect example. Is Marion Williamson a crystal-loving hippie lunatic? You can call her whatever you want, but the crystal things was made up. She's not a crystal lady. It was a joke run wild. And, they, and, and the, uh, the author of this comic, the, the person who drew it, said, a lot of what we see today could easily be fact-checked by the public, so trust is down. Here's the problem. Marion Williamson learned this the hard way, but I wonder if her supporters are now going to learn this too. And at what point do we push back and say media is being dominated by freaky weirdos and they're manipulating, manipulating the left into believing insane weird things and people don't like it? Guess what? Liberals are mean. They do lie. But I think liberals is the wrong word. It's, it's this new left. Liberals have been excised from the left. We have this story which came out uh, yesterday evening. The Washington Post's Lost Summer. And this is from Stephanie Grisham and Ho- uh, Hogan Gidley. And of course, there were some mainstream reporters saying, oh, harumph, why are Trump appointees slamming the press? Why are they using taxpayer-funded money to spend time writing about the problems of the media? Because the media doesn't do its job anymore. 
And it's not a conservative opinion. Marion Williamson's calling out of the left saying they lie. Okay. I know she's not saying journalism, but we know, we know about the bias. Okay. But at the very least, her coming out and saying this should be a wake up call. People say, Tim, why do you rag on the left so much? Why is Marion Williamson doing it? She's a Democratic candidate. You'd think she thought it was conservatives. She said it. I thought the right did this. Welcome to the other side of the flames. Okay. It doesn't matter what your political leaning is. It matters that you speak up, stand up and try and fight for what you believe in. Marion Williamson believes in reparations. I disagree with like most of her policy positions, but I don't think it's fair to lie about what she believes in. I think we should represent her fairly and let people decide for themselves. And because she stood up, they tried to destroy her. It's a game. It's this, it's the snooty popular kids in high school laughing, pointing the finger, thinking they're so smart and they're not. This story is really interesting. It talks about fake news from the Washington Post. They say, it's been a lost summer for the Washington Post. From Memorial Day to Labor Day, the Post has some pretty embarrassing moments. Whether it was incorrectly stating that presidents do not deliver remarks on the 4th of July, ignoring speeches by Reagan, Kennedy, and Obama, or being called out for shoddy political motivated fact-checking, the Post's lost summer culminated with a fateful day in August when it was forced to issue 15 corrections to a single article. Yeah, it's the left. Look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying this to act like conservatives on the right don't make mistakes. I'm saying this as somebody who was on the left for their whole life, witnessing all of these problems. And today, I'm not surprised to see someone like Marion Williamson saying the exact same thing. Now, look, there's, there, there, she's got some other stuff going on, controversial health remarks. She was tweeting some journalist's mom, direct messaging this person. But here's another example of how mean, how mean these people are. Apparently, Marion Williamson knows Molly Jongfast's mother, something like that. I don't know. And DM'd her saying, you know, your daughter is mean or whatever. So what does she do? Molly Jongfast publishes the DMs. She says, Marion Williamson DM'd my mom to complain about me and I have receipts. Also, my mom's phone doesn't do screenshots or something. Anyway, the point is, why would you publish someone's DMs? It just proves Marion right. They are mean. They are very, very mean. So let's, let's, let's read a little bit more about the Washington Post's complete failures. As the summer came to a close, the Post set out to report the president's summer accomplishments. But reporting is not what the Post does. Two of its writers published an opinion article they claimed was news, but that instead pushed their own personal political narrative that President Trump had a lost summer of squandered opportunities and few accomplishments. They say the truth is Trump racked up many well-documented victories that directly benefited the American people at home and abroad. When the Post asked the White House, proud, uh, the White House proudly provided it with a detailed list of the administration's 26 most important successes of the summer. Of those 26 accomplishments, the Post chose to publish just four, which it buried under, uh, under 11 paragraphs of editorialized critique. They say, media bias comes in two forms. It plays a role in deciding what news is and is not, uh, what is, is and is not covered, and also in deciding how that news is covered. In this instance, the Post's reporters are guilty of both. It is obvious that they had their own predetermined, pre-written narrative, and they simply discarded information that could have challenged that. This is not only a disservice to readers, but it's also an offensive, egregious affront to true news, news journalism. There's more. Um, I, th- I think we can leave it there. There was some other stuff that I thought was really, really interesting. They talk about, you know, the rat-infested stuff. Let's, actually, I'll read this paragraph. Many in the media jumped on the bandwagon to rip Trump for calling Baltimore rat infested. 
But the media never apologized when a video surfaced of Baltimore Mayor Catherine Pugh making the exact same complaint. When the president called out the comments and media posts from Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, the press dismissed the Democrats' bigotry as a mere invitation to dialogue about Jewish influence in the world. There was also a summer's worth of major outlets openly questioning Trump's sanity. But the hourly gaffes by Joe Biden are part of what humanizes him. We get it. We know exactly how the game is played. And I think for the rest of us, seeing even a Democratic candidate call this out, it's been refreshing to see Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang question media bias. Tulsi Gabbard more so. She's even suing Google. But maybe at a certain point, the bubble has to burst. The way I've described it in the past is that there used to be, you know, two sides, the left and the right. And the left is in this spiral where everyone is playing a game of telephone with these extreme stories. And because of that, the, 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 the narrative about what's going on is getting crazier and crazier. It, it came to a point, in my opinion, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, when an MSNBC host said Trump was talking about exterminating Latinos, which is an egregious lie, and it's just downright nuts. But this game of telephone goes, is, is in, is, is, it's just insane. People are talking about like Trump rounding up citizens of the country and deporting them. It's like, what are you talking about? Nothing has happened. Calm down. But here's the thing. Moderates and conservatives are free from this. They've stepped through the flames. And the media is spitting faster and faster in desperation as their ratings drop. You know, a CNN just recently did this town hall on climate change, and they were last in the ratings. People would rather watch MSNBC and, and Fox News on a regular night than all of the presidential candidates. What's happening is these media companies are so desperate. They're ramping up the rhetoric and spinning faster and faster. And as the cycle spins faster and faster, it ejects people. They get thrown from it. We're at a point now where Marion Williamson, the kooky left-wing you know, Democratic candidate, was just thrown from it. And now she is outside of the fire, looking at the left, spinning like in, in pure insanity. And, and she's going, that's not true. They're lying about me. Well, don't fear, Marion. We're all still, you know, we're all here on the other side of that flame. The, the flame reference, I believe, is Andrew Breitbart. When he said, when, you know, many people on the left are scared to walk through because they feel on the other side, it's like you're a social outcast. But once you do, you realize life is, is better. It's free. It's normal. You don't have to be a conservative. You can be a moderate liberal. You can even be a socialist. And as long as you call out the lies, people don't care. It reminds me of this story. I was in Berkeley and I saw a guy wearing a mask with the sickle and hammer flag. It was a communist flag mask and he was wearing a communist shirt. And so I asked him, how do you feel? You know, what, you're a communist. Do you, how, how do you feel about the authoritarian regimes? And he said, I, I reject them. You know, communism shouldn't be that way. And I was like, yeah, it's too bad. They all tend up being that way. And he was like, right, but it's, you know, he still rejected it. And I was like, okay, well, what about Antifa? You know, they're showing up. Many of them are communists and they're getting violent. And he said, that's wrong. They shouldn't be doing that. And I was like, wait, whoa, really? I was like, you're a masked communist handing out literature in Berkeley. And he was like, yeah, Antifa is absolutely wrong for the violence. And I shook his hand. I don't care if you're a communist, dude. If you denounce violence and authoritarianism, we can have a conversation about your political beliefs. And, and, I, and I stress this too. You know, uh, there is a such thing as libertarian communism uh, or anarcho-communism. And people on the right don't seem to understand. They're like, no, that's not possible. But listen, 10 people living on a farm. There you go. They, they, just, they just work and they support each other. It works really, really well on a small scale. So yeah, you can have people advocating that. Unfortunately, I think as you scale it up to beyond maybe like 40 people, it doesn't work anymore. But there is small scale tribal anarcho-communism at the root. So the, the point is, 
I don't care what you believe, Marion Williamson. I don't care if you actually do have crystals. I think it's, it's important that we fairly represent who you are and what you believe, and then people get to choose if that's something they agree with. I do believe you'd said things that I completely disagree with, but I respect you trying to be civil. Look, look at what Hillary Clinton said. You know, we'll be civil once we win. Marion Williamson stepped up. She was an outlier on the left who stepped up and says, we need to be civil now. We need kindness and respect and refuse to personally attack people. So I, I give a standing ovation for that. Because even if I don't agree with you politically, the fact that you're willing to be kind and respectful is exactly what we need. It's like Daryl Davis. Okay, you guys know who he is? He's the dude who de-radicalized Klan members. Why? Because he listened to them. He gave them the respect they asked for, and they listened back. And that's why I think it's important. But you know what? Just like they smear her, they smeared us. They claim that we're all the bad people and everyone's wrong and evil, and they mock and belittle her. When she had good intentions, she was just a little wrong. It's important to be nicer. And I can say the same thing to like the anti-SJW community on YouTube, and I have. You know, uh, at the event we just did in Philly, Sargon uh, and, and I were on a panel called Admitting You Were Wrong, and Sargon mentioned that he used to be mean. He said he wasn't always mean. He started out very nice and then eventually became mean, but then realized it was wrong. And I applaud that. Absolutely. When you, and look, I understand I've been mean. I've been angry in the past too. I think it's fine if people, you know, get emotional periodically, but not if you build your entire, you know, culture around it. And that's what she's facing now. So, you know, honestly, I feel like I've talked about some of this stuff just so much. We all understand it already, but it, it really does mean a lot to see Marion come out and say this. I thought it was the right, she said. No, the left, they're mean and they lie. Well, congratulations, you know, you've, you've stepped through the fire. And I mean that sincerely, it's a good thing. And you can see them for, for who they are and what they're doing. And we need to stop them because they're being destructive to our community. So this is really great news. Okay, it's really great news. Because if you can get people like Tulsi Gabbard, Andrew Yang, Marion Williamson, to start seeing the facade and seeing what this weird, biased, far left ideology, these weird people are doing, these bullies, well, we're gonna be better off. The sooner we get rid of this weird bully outrage, lie, nonsense from the media, the sooner we can fix things. Until then, though, Marion, now you might understand why people voted for Trump. Now you might understand why they won't listen. To, you know, they don't believe the media at all. Trump can say whatever he wants. People are going to say, I don't care. The media just lies all the time. And she says it's the left. Yep. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews at 6 p.m. And I will see you all there. Multiple, massive, antitrust probes are about to hit Google and Facebook next week. The story from the Daily Mail is, hey, dozens of state attorney, attorneys general set to begin their antitrust investigation into Google and Facebook next week, adding to the scrutiny the tech giants are already facing a federal, in a federal probe. And uh, this also comes just after YouTube had to pay a $170 million penalty for collecting private information on children in violation of the law. Can I, just, can I just say, I'm really confused how all of this is happening all around us. And we keep getting stories talking about how nothing's really going on. We have leaked emails. We know that Google and Facebook and Twitter and these big tech companies are biased. They're playing dangerous games. And we know they engage in what's called behavioral, behavioral manipulation. Okay, there are companies that you can hire to program your apps to manipulate people. That's what they all do, and we know it. Now Facebook's announcing they're going to be doing dating? You know, when I, when I first heard about the Facebook dating thing, I was like, well, that's creepy. But then I actually thought about this. You know, it's actually kind of cool, because imagine this, right? Have you noticed 
Have you ever noticed an advertisement on Facebook for something you were talking about? This phenomenon, it's, it's, it's very common. Everybody has experienced this. And people think it's because Facebook is listening to what you say. That's not true. Facebook knows so much about you, where you go, what you do. They know when you poop. I'm not exaggerating. They do. There was a story about it. They can predict it. They know when you eat. They know all of this. So they can predict perfectly what you will end up talking about. That's the power of AI. And it's rather creepy. I once went to Walmart and I walked past a bunch of TVs that were on sale and I pointed to it like, hey, that's interesting. When I got home, I saw an ad for basically that exact same thing from Walmart. And I laughed. It's not because they were spying on me. It's because they know I went to Walmart because they're tracking my phone. And based on my, my behavioral profile, they said, you probably would like a TV. They knew that I would be in the electronics aisle. Now think about this. As creepy as it is, could you imagine if Facebook found the perfect person for like the perfect people to, to couple? Like, could you imagine if all of a sudden it was like, date this person, trust us. We know so much about you. You guys will get along. It's creepy, but it actually sounds kind of nice. Just to, like not have to worry about, you know, filling out stupid questions. Facebook just knows. Although I think about the future and that's really, really nightmarish. So perhaps we need an antitrust investigation into these companies. And it's about time it's happening. While the federal government may be doing it, we're now seeing all of these state level attorneys are going after them. Good. Big tech is a, is a nightmare dystopia. I, we're living in the, in the, in the post, like we're living in the, in the futuristic nightmare dystopia. It was just, you know, all these books in the past lightly predicted what was going to happen. And you combine all them together, a little bit of 1984, a little bit of Fahrenheit 451, a little bit of Brave New World. You know, you get them all together and we get a little bit of everything. Because I guess while these, these uh, authors could see one aspect, they couldn't see the whole picture. Well, let's read about what's happening with Google and Facebook. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. But the best thing you can do is share this video because I am here pointing the fing- finger at, uh, or I'm biting the hand that feeds me. Why, yes, this video is hosted on YouTube and I just criticized them over collecting children's private data. And now I'm going to agree that they should be, uh, they should face an antitrust probe. I have to imagine Google's not going to like that. You know, I made a video talking about Facebook antitrust and it got confirmed, demonetized, broke no rules, no rules at all. There's literally no guideline or rule or advertising restriction about talking about tech policy. Yet they struck it down. They want to make sure you don't profit off of calling out their BS. Well, Google, you're too big, you're too creepy, and Facebook and Google together, extremely creepy. You know what would be the end of the world if Facebook and Google merged? I'd just be like, I'm out, I'm gonna go live in the woods. Let's read on. The story says, dozens of state attorneys general are set to launch separate antitrust investigations into Facebook and Google as early as next week, which will add to the scrutiny the tech giants are already facing from a federal probe. Sounds good to me. The Google investigation is expected to be announced on Monday outside the U.S. Supreme Court and will be spearheaded by Republican Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, sources told the Wall Street Journal. Meanwhile, Democrat New York Attorney General Letitia James will be leading an overlapping group of attorneys attorneys general in a probe of Facebook. We got unity. We got Democrats and we got Republicans pointing the finger at big tech and saying, let's shut them down. Well, I don't want let's shut them down. A little hyperbolic. Let's read on. Great. The attorneys general will reportedly be. The attorneys general will. The attorneys general will reportedly be looking at the possible harm to consumers from Google's impact on digital advertising. 
as well as investigating concerns over Facebook's control of personal data. Google has said that it was cooperating with the state officials, but Facebook has not commented. Sources say the probes by the attorneys general, which have been speculated for several weeks, could be expanded to include other tech giants. Yes, please. I would like to see that very much. The tech giants among the richest and most powerful companies in the world are facing increasing antitrust scrutiny from Congress, federal agencies, and now the state's attorneys general. Why is it that we wait until they've become too powerful and already have disrupted much of our way of life before actually doing anything about it? Maybe it's because I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you why Google and Facebook play it smart and side with the woke left. By agreeing with the people who typically call for regulation and antitrust, they've staved off this battle. Conservatives are torn between those who are angry over the censorship and those saying, but we shouldn't regulate a private business. Then you have the left that typically wants to. They say, we should regulate these big companies. Big corporations are bad. Ah, but the corporations you know, favor their ideology. And they say, it's just a private business. What? So here's, here, you know what I think? I think many people on the left know full well there is a bias against conservatives and to an extent moderates and even some liberals, but mostly to the right. I think they know the bias exists. And that's why they keep saying, but it's a private company. Because if they really you know, cared, if, if, if they didn't think there was a bias, they wouldn't be defending it as a private company. The fact that they offer up any defense at all means they understand the benefit they're receiving. Because think about this. If you came right now and said, this big oil giant is doing something wrong, they'd be like, shut them down. We don't care why. Shut them down. But could you imagine if a bunch of left wingers were like, well, it's a private business. No, no, no. Bernie Sanders called for the arrest and prosecution of oil execs. Okay. And he, I don't think he's even the the only one people who didn't break the law. Okay. You're going too far for me. See, I'm a moderate. I'm kind of like, let's pass new laws and, 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 and work our way towards, you know, more, more carbon neutrality and renewable tech and all that stuff slowly. But we don't go and just arrest people because the legal business they were running had a negative impact. That makes no sense. But this is the point. Why defend any big corporations at all? Why would the left defend Facebook after all of the bad things Facebook has done? Why would people on the left, I don't say, I don't want to say everybody because you've got, you know, Tulsi Gabbard and you've got some principled people, uh, you know, even Elizabeth Warren is calling them out. So, so, but there are leftists defending Facebook. Didn't Facebook sell private data to Cambridge Analytica helping Trump get elected? Why would you defend them as but private business? It makes no sense. I can only imagine the reason is they know they reap the benefits of the bias. And so sitting there thinking, oh man, this is really good. They're banning people we don't like, but it's a private company. Uh, no, dude, sorry. You betray your principles at the last minute. Surely you must be benefiting. They say the justice department said in July that it was opening a broad investigation of major digital technology firms, focusing on whether they engage in anti-competitive practices. The investigation is believed to be aimed at Google, Amazon, and Facebook and potentially Apple. Good. Separately, the Federal Trade Commission, which also enforces antitrust law, is also probing Amazon and Facebook to determine if they abuse their massive market power in retail and social media, respectively. Of course they do. Go to, go to Facebook right now. Go to Facebook right now. Well, well, don't close the video. You got to keep watching. But to open a new tab, send a message to one of your friends. Type in M-I-N-D-S dot com. Just that, minds.com. Type it in and see what happens. You will, you will, your jaw will probably drop. You want to talk about anti-competitive anything? I think, I think Bill over at Mines needs to send a letter to the FTC and say, you want to talk about anti-competitive behavior on Facebook's part? 
Again, I will stress, try and post a comment. Now, it might, it, on, on mobile, it's a little different. If you're on the mobile messaging app, sometimes it just goes through. But open up a browser, go to one of your friends, or try posting this. Try posting a, a, a status, M-I-N-D-S dot C-O-M. And tell me what happens. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to see a ton of people in the comments going, oh my God, holy, seriously. And for those that can't do it, now that we've, we've walked a little bit past, give everyone an opportunity, I'll tell you what happens. They block it. That's right. Facebook blocks any attempt to post a link to minds.com. You have to do an auto capture to prove you're not a bot. Tell me that's not anti-competitive behavior. You know why? Minds, for those, for those that don't know, is a social network that aims to be decentralized and when it comes to, uh, uh, when it comes to like policy enforcement, they have a jury system. You break the rules, the people who run it don't decide whether or not you should be banned. And, and I don't think you can get banned. I think they, they, they put you in like a not safe for work category if you, if you engage in like offensive speech or something. They put a tag on it so it's filtered. But you can, anyone can still see it if they just click the not safe for work. But if you do get some kind of like restriction, I, I shouldn't call it a restriction because it's kind of just like, it's a, it's a tag. But if you do get any kind of negative action because of your speech, it's, you can appeal to a jury of users who decide whether or not it was offensive and should be you know, removed or not. So, so Bill, who runs mine, says it's about just upholding the First Amendment. If it's you know, against the law or whatever, then the jury decides if it should be removed, and then it is. And that's a really smart thing because Jordan Peterson has talked about, you know, with his new social platform, saying something like, they will only take it down with a court order. That's a bad idea. Like, imagine if someone doxes you. You'd be like, please take it down. And they'll be like, send me the court order. No, no, dude, that's my private information, right? Or if someone actually breaks the law and, and starts inciting violence, you probably should just take it down. Yeah, I think it's a clear line. But that's why minds make sense. Because the users decide. There's no, there's no authority. It's a democratic process. But that's why it's so funny. This is why they need to come after Facebook. When you try to share a link to a competitor, Facebook impedes you. And a lot of people don't notice and a lot of times I'll try and post it and it just, they, they, they don't see the block because you can, you know, it comes up and you've got to click a button and then it approves you. So, but they don't do that for other, for other websites. Clearly Facebook is taking action against a competitor. That, that, that's enough, right? Why can't I share a rival company? Because they're anti-competitive and by controlling what people can see, they restrict you from going somewhere else. Could you imagine if in order to buy a cheeseburger at Burger King, you had to walk through a McDonald's first and McDonald's says, where are you going? And you're like, I'm going to go to Burger King. Oh, you know what? We're closed. You can't come in. Sorry. That would be insane. We, we wouldn't allow that. Admittedly, the analogy isn't perfect. The general idea, though, is that Facebook is the dominant social network. If they're going to block rivals, like how imagine if you called someone on the phone and said, what phone company do you have? Do you have Verizon? You should definitely not. You should switch over to click the line goes dead. Wouldn't that be insane? Because they're communications tools. This is the problem of monopolies. This is why Facebook is becoming dangerous. They don't want you using rival services. And they're being supported by a media that will smear anybody who dare oppose the tech oligopoly, which is also really insane. You look at all the smears that came out about what we were doing with, you know, the Minds event in Philadelphia. You look at, you know, Minds had like four profiles that were like, they were extremist groups and they barely posted. So Vice runs this whole piece smearing everything about Minds. And Minds is like, we took those accounts down. Like, what are you you complaining about? Twitter has like a hundred times worse because for some reason, there are these people on the left in media who love the establishment and love the tech giants and defend them tooth and nail. I don't even get it. I don't even, you know what? 
Maybe it's because they're authoritarians and they love serving their tech masters. Or maybe, let's get conspiratorial. Maybe these companies can predict our behavior so well. They've created an ecosystem that supports people who hold these views. Then their articles get shared more. They get hired more. That, this, is the, this is the true nightmare dystopia of big tech and why we need this. Okay, look, look, at, look at it this way. One of the prerequisites now for getting hired is having a following. They may not say that, okay? And, and, and certainly people with no following can get jobs. But a lot of companies want to know how many followers you have before they hire you. Why? They want those articles to get shared and make money. Now think about it this way. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, whoever, they can prop up people, recommend them who are favorable to their view of the world. All of a sudden now you have all of these people with, with, with 30,000 followers on Twitter who are writing for their company saying, you know, anyone who competes with Facebook is bad. Facebook is our Lord and Savior. It's a private company. It can do it at once. And you're thinking to yourself, why are all these people supporting Facebook? Mark Zuckerberg's a creep. And it could just be the bias within the system supports those who defend the system. That is creepy. I'm not saying it's that bad right now. I'm not saying there's someone at Facebook or Google who's like, who loves the establishment tech oligopoly? Give them followers. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that's where we could be headed. I mean, it might, might already be happening. It's not somewhere I want to live, you know? So, so I'm, I'm going to wrap this up because you get it. We, we, we know the news. There we go. Otherwise, we'll just rant about all these stupid tech companies. But I will end by saying this. This is why I say in almost every video, please share this video. You know why? Do you think Google wants me preaching about why they should be broken up and why they're bad? And I'll admit, if YouTube and Google and these companies are broken up, I stand to lose a lot. My whole business is predicated upon the fact that YouTube is losing money, but supports creators because it's beneficial to them. Well, I don't care. I'd rather see everything I have just be swept up and wiped away by antitrust shutting down big tech because it's better for the world than to sit here and benefit off of it. And that's why I'm a problem for Google. And that's why they derank my content, or at least partly why. Because I'm not one of these people that's going to sit back and say, well, YouTube can do whatever it wants. It's a private company. No, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to say, oh, yeah, I make a career off YouTube 100%. People watch my videos on YouTube. Absolutely. And I think it's a nightmarish problem for a society the way they operate. They're deranking me partly because of that. So when you share this video, you create an interesting problem. They can't outright delete me. I've broken no rules. But sure, their allies in media have been trying. And eventually, YouTube will say, we must get rid of the pipeline. And yeah, I'm on the chopping block. We'll see what happens. But for the time being, they can derank me all day and night. But they can't stop you from sharing the link. It would be way too much for Facebook, Google, and Twitter to outright ban a link to a video that's critical of them. And that's the best we can do right now. So I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. I will see you all next time. Every so often I talk about survival and preparation. I don't mean like prepping for the end of the world, but the idea of some kind of survival preparation has a negative connotation. People are made fun of for talking about emergency supplies and emergency food. Then a hurricane hits. Take a look at this headline from the Daily Mail. People are shooting each other for food and water. Bahamas Hurricane Dorian death toll will be staggering, with thousands still missing as bodies pile up and militias are formed to stop looting. What would you do if a disaster struck your area? Do you live in a big urban center? Well, you're in serious trouble. The government, FEMA, they may come in to provide some relief, but it's not perfect. And depending on the scale of the disaster, you may be in serious trouble. The Bahamas is not like New York City. 
but people are still shooting each other for food and water and militias are still forming. And that's why I think it's so damn funny that preppers are mocked and ridiculed. Now I get it. You know, when you turn on the TV and you watch these prepper shows, they do make these people, you know, seem nuts. They got all this, this big, you know, bomb shelter full of uh, Chef Boyardee ravioli and other canned goods. Well, I don't even think, I don't even think, I don't even think that stuff lasts long enough anyway. But the point is, you know, I, I've talked about this. Do you have emergency water that can last you a couple weeks? Do you have emergency food that can last you and your family a couple weeks? I'm not telling you to pre- prepare for the end of the world. I'm telling you hurricanes happen every single year. But let's talk about the actual potential for, for political violence. I mean, it's there. Will we get to a point where people will be shooting each other for food and water? Not politically, okay? And that's the thing. When we talk about you needing to take care of yourself, get a generator, get solar, get whatever you need, it's not because the world is going to end, there's going to be an apocalypse. It's because sometimes it floods. It actually floods a lot, especially if you live by water. So what happens if you are without food? Well, this is a a really terrifying example of what can happen to urban centers in the event of a major storm. A hurricane hit New York only a few years ago. I believe it was like a category one when it hit, and there was a lot of flooding. Uh, uh, I believe it shut down the power for a few weeks. I'm pretty sure that was the hurricane. I was down there when the power was out. And there were people guarding the bodegas, little corner stores, with like two by fours. And there were lines swimming out the door. And they said, the, 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 the refrigerated goods, they're good for about a day, if that. And they were like, hey, whatever's in there is going to go bad quick, so buy it now. And every time you open it, it loses what little cool was left in that fridge. So for the most part, you were going in and everything was like, I don't know, man. Pre, it, it was nuts. It was nuts to experience that. This is what's truly scary about a real disaster. It's one of the reasons why I don't want to live in a city. Because I'm not, after experiencing what I experienced in New York, I'm like, wow, man. New York could get hit with a hurricane who knows when. You, I, living in a city doesn't seem fun. When you, when you see stories about militias forming after, after a hurricane, I mean, it's sad. Well, let, let, let's actually read the story. And, and, and I will stress, you know, to all, those, to all the people who are, who are grieving, you know, my condolences. I know it's not much to say, thoughts and prayers, but um, we, we hope for the best. And this is what's truly scary. But if there's anything that can be considered a positive, this should be a warning to people to not sit around and think, you know, to, to, uh, to have an optimism bias. This is what prevents people from taking care of themselves. They believe that it can't happen to them. Well, I understand the Bahamas. It's in, you know, the hurricane area and hurricanes happen. So, you know, these things hit. They do. It's unfortunate. But it's curling up and going along the East Coast right now. And, and, and even outside of hurricanes, think about earthquakes. Think about, I don't know, any kind of disaster. There was an algal bloom in one of the Great Lakes a few years ago, and people couldn't drink water. And then all of like within 40 miles, all bottled water was gone. Go have, you know, go get the water now and have a couple weeks worth for your family. In the event this happens, you're not going to be getting into a fight. Daily Mail reports, the death toll from devastating Hurricane Dorian will be staggering. With thousands still missing, officials have warned amid reports looters are trying to shoot people in the scramble for food and water. And, and you know what, man? I, I almost don't blame people. When you're starving, you'll do whatever it takes. You know, so I, 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 I wish it didn't get to that point, but there are people who are, it, it's the water that comes first. Okay. You can go a long time without food, without water. You're going to see true desperation. You're going to see the fear in people's eyes. And they're going to say, I'm sorry, as they raise that gun and take whatever you have. Up to 70,000 are in need of life-saving assistance. While Great Abaco is said to be virtually uninhabitable, 
with bodies piled up and witnesses say there is a smell of death across parts of the island. While the official death toll stands at 30, the number is expected to rise today and hundreds of body bags have been ordered. A massive international relief effort was ramped up today as survivors revealed horrifying details of the aftermath of the 185 mile per hour Category 5 storm. One of them, Alicia Cook, broke down in tears as she revealed, everything is gone. People are starting to panic, pillaging, looting, trying to shoot people for food and water. It's just no way everyone's, it's just no way everyone's going to get out. No homes, no banks, no gas stations, no hardware stores. Everything is gone, she added. Desperate attempts are being made to evacuate people to the capital in Nassau, but efforts have been complicated by flooded runways at Grand Bahama International Airport. Addressing fears the death toll from the disaster will climb, Health Minister Dwayne Sands warned, let me say that I believe the number will be staggering. Some, local, some locals called the government's initial official death toll a tragic underestimate. You smell the decomposing bodies as you walk through Marsh Harbor, said Sandra Sweeting, 37, in an interview amid the wreckage on Great Abaco. It's everywhere. There are a lot of people who are going to make, uh, who, aren't, who aren't going to make it off this island. Look at this photo. For those that uh, are listening, you can't see it, but it's just complete obliteration. This storm was huge, 185 miles an hour, category five. And people have an optimism bias. They just truly believe these things can't happen to them. I'm not telling you to panic. That's the last thing I'm saying. Don't panic. Don't panic. Just be ready to protect your family and friends. Now, look, I get it. Bahamas, they're in the path of these hurricanes. So this damage is, is way worse than, you know, people landlocked in the United States would experience. But the optimism bias will get you, man. You never know what could happen. The absolute worst case scenario where the preppers lose their minds is like building a Faraday cage because a solar flare will hit. Right. That's, you know, cool. Yeah, we know it could happen. But the reality is drought, earthquake, flash flood, common things. You know, I, I grew up in Chicago and we had periodic floods in some areas and people were shocked. Like, I can't believe the water got that. I've never seen it like that. Well, it happens. So you gotta, you, you've, you've, you've just gotta plan, you know? I, I wonder if people would, would if, if we would do better as a country if we made little kids play chess, just for one reason, to make people think about what comes next. You know, you might not realize something is possible. You put it off and say, who cares? And then something happens and you didn't plan for it. Some of these photos are, are tragic, but this is one photo. It's just complete and total obliteration. So we can see here that people are bringing in um, boxes. It says a man carries boxes outside a looted supermarket in Bahamas. I work part time in a funeral home. I know what death smells like, said Anthony Thompson, 27. There must be hundreds, hundreds. Extra security has been deployed with witnesses seeing residents breaking into liquor stores and supermarkets, carrying off goods in bags or filling their vehicles. Local militias have been formed to clamp down on the widespread looting. Militias forming. It's, it's just like it's complete societal breakdown. Where are the police? Where's the police force? And this is the interesting thing about militias. People, you know, on the left, when they talk about second, the Second Amendment and stuff, they act like a militia is controlled by the government. No, it's just a bunch of people banding together with weapons. That's the point, at least in my opinion of the Second Amendment. It's not always about foreign invaders or government tyranny. It could be that after a major disaster, the people need to secure their home from outside threats, even domestic. And so what do they do? They start guarding stores to protect their resources, right? They go on to say uh, evacuation efforts are underway 
And a few hundred people sat at the partly flooded Leonard M. Thompson Airport on Abaco Island Thursday as small planes picked up the most vulnerable survivors, including the sick and the elderly. The evacuation was slow, and there was frustration for some who said they had nowhere to go after the Category 5 hurricane splintered whole neighborhoods. They told us that the babies, the pregnant people and the elderly people, were supposed to be first preference, said Lukia Thompson, a 23-year-old bartender. But many were still waiting. We have more photos, just complete and total, just obliteration of, the, of, of neighborhoods, all of these photos. Despite hardship and uncertainty, those at the airport were mostly calm. The Bahamian Health Ministry said helicopters and boats were on the way to help people in affected areas, though officials warned of delays because of se- severe flooding and limited access. They, they go on to talk about the, the official death toll. It looks like we have um, humanitarian and disaster relief teams from Britain are delivering aid to the island of Great Abaco in the Bahamas on Friday, September 6th. So that's, that's amazing. You know, um, just definitely these are, these are the heroes that, uh, that we need. Um, I don't know what I'll say, but, you know, good on these dudes showing up, bringing supplies, excellent work, great, great Britain. And um, American Airlines is flying in supplies. This is, this, you know, for, for all the rat, you know, for all we hear about the problems of capitalism, they only ever talk about business as usual. Oh, yeah, during the day you have to work to go buy food and some people don't get it. But when disaster strikes, we take care of each other. We spare no expense. Well, I shouldn't say no expense, but American Airlines said it flew a Boeing 737 from Miami to NASA to drop off 14,000 pounds of relief supplies. The airline is also giving frequent flyer points to customers who donate at least $25 to the Red Cross. These companies, they eat the cost, okay? Like, I I get it. They're big corporations. They have problems. But hey, you know, people step up, you know, in in times of true true disaster. We see truly amazing things. There are stories about, like, tribes in Africa donating sheep or cows to New York after 9-11, like really crazy stuff. Like, America doesn't need it, you know what I mean? But people really do step up. I know it's probably not enough right now because I don't know if anything will be enough. The the amount of manpower they need is more than we could probably get there if it is what it is, you know? And and, and when I talk about preparation and, like, taking care and planning ahead, I'm not talking about anything these people did wrong. You know, I'm, I'm sure many of them prepared, but when you're talking about complete and total destruction like this from a hurricane, I don't think there's anything they could have done, you know? It just, it gets that bad. With people bringing out guns and shooting each other, it gets bad. Are you ready for the event of any kind of disaster? There could, it could just be prolonged rain in your area. It could be something really simple and there's a flood and then all of a sudden the roads are shut down. The power could go out. You never know. You never know. So I think you guys get the point. Um, I, don't, I don't need to go through just, you know, literally everything because they, they really do rehash a lot of uh, a, a lot of stuff. But uh, I'll end by saying, you know, to the rescue efforts, to the Royal Navy, to the, to the Br- British Relief, to American Airlines, to all those that are doing everything they can to help. It's truly epic. And, and, and these are the times where you have, I don't know, at least some hope for humanity. And maybe maybe humans just need a, a great storm or an alien invasion so we can finally come together. So we can finally see people setting aside, you know, petty squabbles and doing what they need to do to protect each other. And, you know, my heart goes out to those who are, who are hit by this. You know, look at this. They have this, uh, for those that are listening, it's a sliding image where you can see before and after uh, Great Abaco. And it's just complete and total destruction. I, I, I wonder how, you know, I hope I, I, Puerto Rico saw this, you know, what, last year. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it, it's really sad. So, you know, I hope people... Can, can make it through, I hope. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I, I think we should just all re- remember that your, your happy family, three meals per day, all that goodness, 
it can be washed away in a moment and you, and you, you can never expect it. These storms, natural disasters, they're a natural part of living on earth. We can't control the weather, at least for now. But until then, you'd be wise to make sure you have water, you know, safe, safely stored somewhere. You'd be wise to have some food stored somewhere because you never know. And it's, and it's not, it's not only that, I mean, depending on where you live, it's probably, this may be one of the better arguments for the second amendment. And I mean that seriously. When people start looting with guns and stealing the resources from the vulnerable, it's not about whether or not you're scared of the government. And that's like a straw man argument. The left says, oh, but the government has scud missiles. No, no, no. Listen, man, there could be an earthquake and it can be you and your family. And there could be bears. I don't know. I, don't, yeah, I mean, some guns aren't going to deal with a bear, but there could be wild animals after a major disaster. You might be reliant on yourself and you need to defend yourself. And so it's important to have that, that capability. You never know when someone's going to show up with guns and loot your local food you know, repository or whatever. But I'll leave it there. So I think you guys get the point. You know, uh, Again, I'll give a special thanks out to everybody doing disaster relief. These are, these are amazing pictures. The people coming and delivering water. It's truly awesome. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at 4 p.m. on the main channel, youtube.com slash TimCast. And I will see you all then. They've gone and done it. In Toronto, the opening of a Chick-fil-A was protested by these individuals. They look very strange. And I, I know it's Canada, but I want to stress, these images will guarantee Donald Trump a 2020 victory. I don't mean literally these photos. I don't mean it will be the only factor. I'm just saying, man, people really like Chick-fil-A. Now, I made a video talking about this when they tried to shut down. I think it was like uh, KSU or whatever. I can't remember the university. They're trying to shut down the move to expand the Chick-fil-A. And just to give you like a rehash on the context before we read the story is, you can't convince someone to vote based on politics for the most part. You go to your neighbor, I, I, just go do it and say, hey, did you know that, I don't know, there's like drone strikes in Yemen? He's going to be like, I, I have no idea. I don't care. Well, you, you can't convince them. Like if I went to people and started talking about anti-war regime change stuff and like campaigning for Tulsi, they'd probably be like, don't know, doesn't affect me, not interested. It's a sad reality. But I'll tell you what, the smartest thing a Republican could do right now to guarantee their election in a local jurisdiction is to secretly funnel money to left-wing groups and organize protests of Chick-fil-A. I'm not actually saying do it, but I mean this seriously, man. Think about what would happen if your neighbor who doesn't care about politics cruises up to that Chick-fil-A one day, really wanting that chicken sandwich, and there's five people looking like this linking their arms, saying, no hate, you bigot, and yelling at the driver. He's going to be like, what? <laughs> I just wanted to get lunch. I just wanted waffle fries and a chicken sandwich. And that, that will make people be like, I don't know about anything, but you don't take away my Chick-fil-A. So now they're protesting in Toronto. And I actually have this, uh, this Twitter thread from Harry Kachatrian. I'm probably pronouncing your name wrong, but uh, where he's got photos and he actually went inside. It's funny, but we'll, we'll read this story first and try and figure out uh, what's going on and why they're protesting and why they dress this way. Listen, man, I believe in freedom. You want to dress up like a clown walking down the street juggling bananas? I don't care. It's the moment you start throwing the bananas at people, I have a problem with what you're doing. So by all means, come out here and protest Chick-fil-A. Apparently, people were still able to get in, and there was a huge line of people who wanted a chicken sandwich. Let's read. This is from Toronto uh, CTV News. Protesters have crashed the grand opening of a Chick-fil-A restaurant in Toronto on Friday and shamed customers who are purchasing food from the new store. 
the American food chain, which opened a new store at Yang and Bloor Streets a few minutes ahead of schedule this morning, is being slammed by protesters for its ties to anti-LGBTQ groups. The CEO of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, has previously said he believes in the biblical, de- biblical definition of a family unit and has donated millions to charities with a history of discrimination. I actually don't know if that's true. My understanding is that it was actually a long time ago and it was one small donation, but uh, I could be wrong. I got allergies, forgive me. Members of the 519, a city organization that is dedicated to advocacy for the inclusion of the LGBTQ community, joined Liberation TO outside the Chick-fil-A store in protest. Shame, 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 one protester yelled at a customer leaving the store this morning. And do you know what that customer is thinking? They're thinking, I like my chicken sandwich more than I care about whether or not you are shaming me. I don't care about your opinion, dude. I don't even know you. But I'll tell you this, that Chick-fil-A sauce, Chick-fil-A sauce is delicious. You ever get Chick-fil-A sauce? It's, I don't know what it is. It's like a sweet mayo or barbecue. I don't know what it is. It's good. Chick-fil-A has given millions of dollars to anti LGBTQ2S organizations, including known hate groups and proponents of conversion therapy, and continues to do so every year, the 519 said. Many U.S. cities, campuses, and retail outlets have refused to allow Chick-fil-A to locate within their spaces and or have been vocal opponents of the corporation's hateful values. Toronto and the rest of Canada need to be next in line. Actually, there are lawsuits, or it's a big controversy, because in the U.S. you can't discriminate based on religion. And let's be honest, the restaurant itself isn't doing anything. All the restaurant does is sell chicken. You got a problem with their employees, protest that. But I will stress one other point. When you come out and tell people something about LGBTQ2S, they're going to be like, wait, I'm, I'm sorry, what? I, I, you spell a word? What word did you spell? This, is, this, this, this doesn't resonate with regular people, man. So what, what do they see when they show up? They see people dressed in weird clothes. Man, my allergies are really bad. They see people dressed in weird clothes, talking about something you don't understand, and they're saying, cluck off. They, they, they printed signs for this. Not in our city, united against hate. What are you people doing, man? Could you imagine? There, there's, there's a meme where it's like, imagine reading a history book in 50, uh, in 50 years as a history book. It says that the LGBTQ, uh, LGBT community's biggest foe is a chicken shop. It's not. There's other things to protest. But this is what they're doing. And, and I'll tell you what, this is part of, you know, I've talked about no purpose. People have no purpose. They're bored. So they need a villain. So they target Chick-fil-A. You got a problem with the CEO? It's CEO's business, not the employees, not the store. Meanwhile, Canadian evangelical Christian leader Charles McVetty has planned an event for Saturday outside the store saying Christians will not be driven out of our city. Oh, this is so hilarious. (laughs) Counter groups coming and showing up from churches to defend a chicken shop a corporate chicken chain. McVetty is urging people who are marching in the 20th annual Jesus in the City Parade on Saturday to stop by the Chick-fil-A store to pray for freedom and security. He expects thousands of people will pray outside the store. In a phone interview with CTV News Toronto, McVetty, it's McVetty, said he finds today's protest upsetting. I find it silly, and it's good news for conservatives. It's upsetting that people want to stop a business simply because it adheres to Christian values. This business is only about chicken. It should only be about chicken. It should not happen in Canada. If you just want to get chicken, you shouldn't be shamed. I agree completely. We have sympathy for the gay community. We love the gay community, but we would never commend anyone for shouting people down. This is schoolyard bullying tactics, and we are against bullying. 
Hungry customers were aligned as early as 6.30 a.m. on Friday ahead of the store's official opening. And this is the warning I give you now to the left. You are protesting something most people want and like. This is not, this is not the hill to die on. This will guarantee, you do this in the U.S., Trump will get reelected. I tell you what, you could shut down the community center. You could shut down, you know, immigration. You could build the wall, cages. I guarantee you, you go to your neighbor's house and talk about kids in cages and they're going to go like this. I, I, I just don't know. But block that door to that Chick-fil-A and they're going to be like, rock on my sandwich. And you will, you will see the ire of regular people. They say, we're, uh, we're excited to see many guests already in line this morning in anticipation of opening our doors, a spokeswoman told CTV News Toronto. We respect people's right to share their opinions and want all Torontonians to know they are welcome at Chick-fil-A Young and Bloor. Our focus is on offering a welcoming and respectful environment for our guests and team members, and we encourage people to give us a try. The Toronto Chick-fil-A location was in the spotlight earlier this week after a video surfaced online appearing to show a mouse inside the restaurant. Whoa, is that for real? In a statement, Toronto Public Health Associate Director of Healthy Environments, Sylvanus, uh, Sylvanus Thompson, confirmed investigators visited the building, but determined that the premises were in compliance with all pest control and other requirements for food premises uh, regulation. The investigation included a more detailed focus on pest control given the nature of the complaint was regarding a mouse on the premises. There was no evidence of current or past pest concerns to substantiate the complaint. Could it be they were lying to try and get the place shut down because that's what they do? Because they're insane? The premises were in compliance with all pest control and other requirements for the food, uh, food premises regulation, Thompson said. Well, Harry Kachatrian, Kachatrian sorry, I, I can't pronounce your name, apparently was, I don't know if he was there. I think he was there. He said there was a, quote, big protest organized at the first Chick-fil-A that just opened in Toronto today. The lineup to get inside for lunch has more people than the entire protest crowd. So we have an image. Fill a bus and go. Oh, that's very clever. He says, quote, so what are you doing on this workday? Oh, nothing much. Just going to protest fried chicken all day. The wait to get inside the Chick-fil-A is a solid hour. Great job from the protest crowd and blog TO hyping up free publicity for them. FYI, there is no Christian group counter protest here. These people waiting in line to get lunch and people claiming a chicken sandwich terrorizes their existence. He says there are gay protesters shouting eat at KF- KFC at the same time, vegan protesters shouting meat is murder. Well, <laughs> it's as if South Park planned this whole thing out. Chick-fil-A protest leader. Capitalism has shrouded our sacred hearts. Oh, of course, there are also commies. I have made it inside and to my shocking, astonished, bewildering surprise, they do not arrest and lock up gay people in here. Very friendly staff. And then he, he ends by saying thanks with a picture of a bag. So the other day I made a video about the biggest mistake the left could make. I talked about, look, man, it's, it's the point I've made the entire video. If you go after things regular people care about, they will vote against you. And Chick-fil-A is just a chicken shop. It's a very, very popular one with lines out the door. Now, I said I wasn't going to go there, but I did. I went there and I got, I got me a milkshake because someone recommended it. And it was a pretty darn good milkshake. In fact, they put a cherry on top. You go to McDonald's and Burger King, you don't get a cherry on top with whipped cream. It was good. The line was ridiculously long. It took me a little while to get. But this is something people enjoy. I, I, I just don't understand why this is the target they choose. But whatever. Stick around. I got a couple more segments coming up for you in a few minutes. And I will see you all shortly. Millennials aren't getting married. They're not having families. They're not buying homes. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Some people point to the economy. They say we're laden with debt and we can't find work. And I don't think that's actually accurate. I don't think that's the reason. 
I think there's a lot of cultural reasons, but I think that, and I could be wrong, but at least one of the prevailing social norms is that women are attracted to status and men are attracted to physical beauty. And it kind of makes sense from a rudimentary evolutionary perspective, right? A guy just wants good genetics, but a woman needs to be sure the guy will protect her. So she needs more of an emotional attachment and she needs to be sure he's going to be able to provide for her while she's pregnant. At least that's what's typically, you know, described. That's how it's explained, right? Check out this story from fizz.org. Do unmarried women face shortages of partners in the U.S. marriage market? They say one explanation for declines in marriage is a shortage of economically attractive men for unmarried women to marry. Indeed, a new study published in the Journal of Marriage and Family reveals a significant scarcity of such potential male spouses. It could be that humans are biologically wired to want certain things, or it could be that society hasn't caught up to a point where coupling will be very different from from what it was traditionally. So I'm not going to pretend to know whether or not it's social or biological. That's not the point. The point is, if today women are typically attracted to men who are of higher status than they are, they want to marry up, got a big problem. As the story points out, young men aren't going to school. Uh, many young men are, you know, living at home with their parents. They're virgins. They aren't, going to, uh, they aren't going to college and they're not even working. Well, these men are undesirable. So it may be that there is a shift and that women no longer care for these things. But it is potentially one answer as to why no one's getting married anymore. If guys are all losers, why would anybody want to get married to them, right? Let's read. The study's authors developed estimates of the socio-demographic characteristics of unmarried women's potential spouses who resemble the husbands of otherwise comparable married women. These estimates were compared with the actual distribution of unmarried men at the national, state, and local levels. Women's potential husbands had an average income that was about 58% higher than the actual unmarried men currently available to unmarried women. They also were 30% more likely to be employed and 19% more likely to have a college degree. So, well, that there you go, right? Pot- wait, 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 hold on. Potential husbands relative. Oh, then the actual. I see, I see, I see. Okay, let's read on. The researchers found that racial and ethnic minorities, especially black women, face serious shortages of potential marital partners, as do unmarried women with either low or high socioeconomic status. Most American women hope to marry, but current shortages of marriageable men, men with a stable job and good income, make this increasingly difficult, especially in the current gig economy of unstable, low-paying service jobs, said lead author Daniel T. Lichter, PhD of Cornell University. Marriage is still based on love, but it also is fundamentally and econo- uh, it, it also is fundamentally an economic transaction. Many young men today have little to uh, little little to bring to the marriage bargain, especially as young women's educational levels, on average, now exceed their male suitors. Interesting, but I have a theory, and it has to do with dating apps, and it may be that Facebook may fix or exacerbate the problem. I believe dating apps are, to, are the reason why so many young men aren't working, aren't going to school, have no passion, are becoming, you know, incels. Let me explain this to you. Before we do, head over to timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address, or you can, the best thing you can do is share this video, especially now as I'm about to present a controversial idea as to what's causing the problems in society or this particular, I shouldn't, I shouldn't call it a problem, but this dramatic change. I would say it's causing a problem for young men. Because of the controversial nature of this content, I might get in trouble, but I'm going to say it anyway. So if you like what I'm about to say, share the video or or share your thoughts. 
I believe dating apps are causing a lot of the big problems for young men. What is a young man driven to do? Well, men in general have this fantasy of being a superhero, right? That's why superheroes exist, because they're saviors, they're protectors, they're providers. It makes sense when you think about a cultural and evolutionary perspective. Men provide for families, so they want to protect guard, and they want to, you know, stand in the line of fire to protect, you know, women and children first and all that stuff. Something interesting happened with dating apps. Think of, uh, so let's go, back, let's go back in time, 10, 15 years. And an 18-year-old woman starts college. She is of legal age. She is in school. And she is now looking for friends. Whether it's intentional or not, people find friends. They're in college. Well, as an 18-year-old man, he is in school as well. They both live on loans. They don't have much going for them. The man is of very little status in society. However, the only friend group available to any of these people is each other. What are you going to do to meet somebody? You can go to a bar. So it's possible young women would go to a bar and meet an older guy. Those, that, that happened. But a lot of the young women would meet other young women and other young men in their social circle, in their classes, and thus friend groups formed based on people of similar social status. So many young women would then pair up with many young men in their classes. But then comes social media. Now, the dating pool for everyone has expanded to be hundreds of miles wide. This means young women no longer need to meet a young guy in class. That young guy is now competing with every single dude who lives nearby. Here's the problem. 30-year-old guy, been working for six, seven years, is a manager at some stupid office job. Maybe it's a really lame position, but hey, he's making $60,000 a year. He's, he's got his own place. He's got a car. Let's ramp it up a little bit. 33-year-old guy. Now he owns his own home. And he's actually a senior level manager. He's making, you know, eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 a year. I, I'm just pulling these numbers, uh, you know, out of, out of, uh, out of my head. <laughs> I can't swear. Um, so I'm just saying, like, th- I'm not saying it's typical, but just imagine. You got a 33-year-old dude. He's making, you know, almost six figures. He's got his own house, his own car. He pulls up that dating app, and he wants some young piece of tail. So now there's this 20, 22-year-old college student who is looking at that 22-year-old guy who doesn't have anything and in all likelihood actually still lives with his parents. And she goes, this dude's got his own car. It's not even about whether women intentionally choose this or whether or not it's actually about status. It's actually about access. Think about it this way. I was talking to this young dude about this recently, where I was like, listen, man, you know, he was like 25. If I, if, if, if I said this on, on Facebook, like, hey, who wants to come skydiving with me in Iceland? There's going to be a lot of people who want to go do that. A young guy is much less likely to be able to offer that up. So while, so, so let, me, let me wrap this into this idea of you know, unmarried young men who are not succeeding and not going to school. If a dude goes to school and fails every step of the way to meet a woman, he's like, what is he striving for? Does he really think he's going to make it? Probably not. You've now got a high density of young men who are virgins before 30. Like it's skyrocketing. Um, I don't think that's true for women. I think women are still more likely, but it's like lower and it's really simple. I can go on a dating app, right? Let's, 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 let's imagine you open up a dating app and a woman sees a picture of two guys. She sees me and she goes, Hey, he's, he's kind of cute. Whatever. I'll swipe on him. And then she sees another guy and he's, he's also fairly attractive. She goes, I'll swipe on him. And now she's got two guys. She likes me and this 25 year old guy. She goes to the 25-year-old guy's profile, and he says he just finished, you know, he's, he just got a master's. He's in a lot of debt. He lives at home with his parents. And she says, he seems like a cool guy, right? 
I don't want to hang out at house with his parents. But it's not even about whether she's intentionally trying to be mean. They might say, hey, she might go out with him. They go out on a date. They go to a bar. They have a great time. And then, sorry, we can't go to my house. My parents, you know, are there. So they say, hey, it was fun. And she might still really like the guy. So let's, let's not act like it's any like, you know, women are awful. No, she might really like the guy, but the opportunity doesn't exist resource-wise. So then she hits up me, or, or I actually, in all reality, in dating apps, the guy hits up the lady. So I message like, hey, let's, you know, let's go out for a drink. Afterwards, we get a drink. It's like, what do you want to do? Well, I own my own house. I got my own car. Actually, I got a van. I got a, I got a, I got a van. You want to go off to the wilderness and go hiking for a week? You wanna, you wanna, look at it this way. If I can offer up somebody who's younger than me, a weekend trip to stay in the mountains in my converted recreational vehicle, which has got internet and movies, and we can pop up in the back and stare at the stars while we're playing Netflix. Doesn't that sound really, really awesome? It does. So it's not even an issue of like women tr- trying to be mean to a guy who's at home. She might still really like the guy, but the opportunity doesn't exist. So if I can present a much more fun experience, it's not about whether or not we're competing with each other, but in the end, we are. It just comes down to what's more fun. I'm going to go skydiving in the mountains and I'm going to jump out of a helicopter and then snowboard down them. Okay, not really. That's a little too extreme. But as an, as, a, as an older guy, I shouldn't say older, but as someone who's 33, who has a career, owns, owns his own house, you are now competing with that. On the dating app, women will see that. And guess what? A young woman is going to look to a guy who can be like, I can take you out to a fancy dinner and we can go, you know, we can do whatever we want. And the younger guy who doesn't have any of that. The point is in the past, that didn't exist. So bringing it back to the marriage market, I think it, it is a factor that young men don't, aren't driven because there's nothing to strive for. All the women in their area are off. To, there's nobody they know. There's no one they're vying for. You'd think it actually, you know, perhaps I'm wrong because you'd think with all of this new competition from older guys, they'd try harder. But I think it's more of like a defeatist thing. It's like everything I tried failed. I don't have the status. I don't have the money. And I don't have a path to get there. So screw it. What's the point? The other issue is when it comes to available suitors, it's really just that simple. No longer are we constrained by locality. Like even, even ignoring the college aspect of this, I think it's, it's, it's just a fact that social media has made it so that older guys and the top, you know, 1% of men have access to all of the women. And guess what? No reason to commit. So if women are willing to hook up and, and, you know, have casual one night stands and all that, why would a dude ever need to offer up anything to them? I think there's, there's a lot of things that are contributing to this, but I believe it's not just a, lo- a, a loss of like traditional gender roles. I think it's also partly that, you know, science, technology, birth control, for instance, women's liberation. If women don't want to have a family, a guy doesn't have to commit, then women are going to be on dating apps and they're going to be picking the top 1% of guys who also don't want relationships and thus no relationships will form. At a certain point, men and women will want the relationship, but they won't know anybody because all they'll have is their one night stands. I can't tell you if it's good or bad. I don't know. People are certainly having fun. Not young men, though, but I'll, uh, I'll leave it there. These are just some thoughts I had, and I could be completely wrong. It's not like I fact check any of this. I was just thinking about what's the impact of like Tinder on college when a 20-year-old woman can pull up an app and see every 30-year-old guy and be like, I like older dudes. You know what I mean? So... Anyway, stick around. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. From The Independent, police were called as protesting pupils and parents locked out of school over new gender-neutral uniforms, except they're not gender-neutral. You know, one thing I've brought up over and over again is that feminism is destroying femininity. 
And I have a lot of, I know I have some friends who are feminists who get really angry and say, oh, harumph, I say, how dare you? That's not true. Feminism is defending femininity. It is absolutely not. From a traditional spe- uh, uh, perspective. I'm not saying the traditional sp- perspective is correct. Think about this. Bef- before I reveal what's happening over these uniforms, think about this. Historically, women were caregivers, social, uh, they did social work, they raised families. They had children, they raised children. Men fought in wars, did industrial work, did dangerous jobs, hunted, died, etc. In recent times, our world has become ever increasingly safe, in which case men don't have to protect women so much anymore because the bears are all gone for the most part. See, back, back, back in the day, way back when, if a woman in the tribe died, the tribe was at risk of collapse because if, uh, so here's the, okay, we got, we got a lot of cover. You have a hundred men and a hundred women. If all but one man dies, your society will be fine because one man can have a child with all of the women very, very, in a very short amount of time. It's still risky because you need men to do work, but women can do work too, even if they're you know, having kids or they can choose not to. But if all but one woman dies, you can't make more people, your civilization would likely collapse. This resulted in men being overbearing on women as time progressed, but we got to a point now where we're safe. Men don't need to protect women all the time. There's no bears. I mean, there are, but you know, we're, pretty, we're pretty much safe. Technology has afforded freedoms to most people. From this, there were still traditional gender norms. But over time, what's happened is men aren't doing female, more feminine work. Men are continuing to work jobs that were traditionally masculine, but women are being encouraged to work jobs that are masculine. Our society is not saying, men, go raise kids. For the most part, no. They do sometimes, but mostly no. What they're mostly saying is, women, go be CEOs, traditionally male, male role. There's reasons for it. Being a CEO is powerful, and being a homemaker isn't as powerful. I understand that. I'm not saying anyone's doing it intentionally. As they strive to tell women to work in masculine jobs, they then have less female roles and aren't encouraging men to do that. So now let's look at this story. What ended up happening? It's not a gender neutral uniform. They're telling women they can no longer wear skirts. Skirts are feminine and pants are masculine. And what are they saying? Women must wear pants. It's really silly if you ask me because I think pants are better anyway. They're more comfortable, but I could be wrong. Women probably want it right, right to choose. If feminism was really about equality and freedom, they would be telling women, you can wear whatever you want. In fact, they would be encouraging the men to wear skirts or kilts if they want to be a little bit more masculine. Instead, the police locked out students because the students wanted the right to choose what they wore. They're not talking about gender neutral. Gender neutral would be like half skirt, half pants. It's not gender neutral. If boys traditionally wear pants and girls traditionally wear skirts, you're telling all of the girls to dress like boys. And of course they didn't want to. Let's read. They say, a school in East Sussex has been forced to lock its gates to angry pupils and parents protesting new uniform rules in which pupils are sent home if they are wearing a skirt instead of gender neutral trousers. But they're not. The uniform policy at Priory School has has seen police called in and over 150 children and parents protesting and holding placards outside the school as a new term gets underway. And you know why they did it? Did they do it because feminists protested? No, they did it because transgender students protested. I don't understand how any of this makes sense. Before we before we jump into that, though, Timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work as a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical option. But of course, the best thing you can do is just share this video because, you know what, I decided to go full controversial today with several controversial subjects. And here we are talking about feminism and transgender rights. So yes, I'm going to get in trouble, but whatever. Let's read on. They say, 
The school introduced the policy for all new pupils in 2017 over worries about the length of skirts and apparently in response to the concerns of a small number of transgender students. Shortly before the school holidays, the school announced all students, regardless of whether they are new or not, must wear trousers in compliance with its gender neutral uniform regulations. But it's not neutral. If you're making people wear pants, it's not neutral. What if, what if they told all boys they had to wear skirts? From September 2019, all Priory students will be required to wear our updated uniform, it states on the, on the school's website. On Twitter, the school put out a message which read, to ensure a smooth start to term, we would appreciate your support in ensuring that your son and or daughter arrives at school in the correct uniform. If students are not wearing the correct uniform, they will be asked to return home and change into the correct uniform before entering the school. Now, let me tell you why this is actually sexist against women. It is. Ignore the gender neutral stuff. They just told all girls they have to go buy new clothes. How is that fair? This is not gender neutral. You're telling the families of, of, of female students they got to spend money. When the guys don't, the guys can keep wearing what they want. You see, this is the problem. The social justice stuff is not about equality. It is, it is taking away the right for women to choose. It is, it is the most absurd thing ever. And I, and I know, I know the gender critical feminists will probably be all over this one. I can't blame them. They're forcing families of females to, to spend money they might not have because transgender students complained. I don't blame the, trans, blame the transgender students necessarily, but if their goal was to make skirts against the rules, then what are you actually protesting for other than men's dominance? On tw- uh, so I read that part. Parents have described the school's position as pointless and silly. It is grossly unfair to have withdrawn a girl's right to express themselves in a skirt, said one protesting parent in the Brighton Argus. The paper, which live blogged the protest, also spoke to parent Sheila Cullen, who said, this school is obsessed with the length of skirts. It always has been. This new uniform, uh, this new uniform police, uniform police's disproportionate. Okay, wait, what? Policy? I think they mean policy disproportionately affects girls as they're the ones who have to buy the new uniform. It's expensive and not fair. I agree with that. This uniform is sexist. I actually completely agree with that. So let me stress what I said. Let me reiterate. I said feminism was doing this. It's intersectional feminism that's doing this. Regular feminists are actually very much in favor of female bodies and and actual females. So that feminism makes sense. Other parents have also noted the policy means if you you have children in their final year, they have to spend money on unnecessary clothes, which will only be worn a few times. Local MP Maria Caulfield described the school's behavior as disturbing and said it was not how we should be treating the young women of Luz. There's actually a video of it. I want, I, okay, I can't. It's going to. All right. We're playing a video. We got a video here. There's a video and I'll, I'll just tell you, it depicts them closing the gates and it looks like they're locking it and a bunch of young women are yelling very loudly and booing and they're angry. Look at all these young women who don't want to be forced to wear these clothes. Why? Well, a few transgender students protested. This is the, I think this is one of the bigger challenges with, with trans rights activists. And they've actually pushed back on this because there are a few weirdos that make the whole group look bad. I think it may have been Blair White. I could be wrong. Uh, Blair White is a trans conservative who said it's people, uh, you know what? I'm going to avoid naming this very outrageous trans person, but there's a Canadian person in Canada is very controversial. And Blair's pointed out it's people like that that make it very difficult for trans people to be taken seriously. Because I'd be willing to bet trans people, like almost all of them, really don't care if people are wearing skirts. In fact, I'm sure many of many trans women want to wear skirts. 
So who were these people protesting, making everybody look bad? The BBC reported the school told parents in June, the decision had created more problems than we wished, but said standards of uniform had declined. According to the school, staff are spending so much time telling pupils to correct their uniform to meet the new rules. It's detracting from time spent teaching. This is the insanity that everyone is telling you to knock off. This is why they're saying don't do this. It is a waste of time. No one cares. And because of a few small, a small group of people, you've pissed everybody off. This is why Trump wins, because Trump gives them the finger. The Independent contacted the school, which confirmed it was open, despite having had to lock the gates after the Sun and the Argus reported it had been closed as a result of the protests. Sussex police said, Police attended Mountfield Road Lose on Friday morning, September 6, where a group of around 100 adults and children were protesting. Officers engaged with the protesters, and they left the area shortly after. There were no offenses reported. So therein lies one of the best examples of, in my opinion, this new intersectional feminism actually taking away feminine, femininity. Femininity. Oh, I hate words like that. Femininity. <laughs> I can't say it. Anyway, the point is, do we see intersectional feminists leading the charge, demanding that men be homemakers? We actually don't. Although there have been some people who have defended it, that's not what we get. Instead, what we get is this weird absurdity where they say pants are gender neutral and they're not. And they, in, in, they, they push these rules that only affect women. So it's not surprising that you see, you know, feminists like Megan Murphy and other gender criminal, gender, crit, gender criminal, gender critical. If you ask Twitter, they would say gender criminal, but critical feminists saying that these policies are taking away from actual biological females. And it extends beyond that into sports. I'm not going to get into the whole sports argument because I do try to keep these segments short, but you know, you know the argument, right? They're now opening up female women only sporting brackets to biological males, which is unfair. Anyway, I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. Podcast every day at 6.30 p.m. And I will see you all next time.